All right. Well, my name's Adam. I'm the pastor here. And if I haven't met you, I would love that opportunity. It is so good for us to be able to have time as a church to worship and to study God's word together. And this morning we begin a new series called After Party. This is the post-resurrection moment in the life of the church that I want us to look at. We want to be encouraged, inspired. We want their testimony and their modeling of response to God to stir within us. And so we're going to look at all these different selections, namely in the book of Acts, to allow ourselves to see how did the disciples, how did the followers of Jesus Christ respond after Jesus resurrected. And what we're going to learn is that the Holy Spirit was about to fill this church and empower them to serve God with great effectiveness. And I believe we will find ourselves asking, how can we be a similar kind of people, a similar kind of local church? This was a pivotal moment in the life of the church, and it could have gone one way or the other if the, uh, if the followers were spiritually lazy. So let's be encouraged by what they do and, and see what we have. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1, starting in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1. It starts off this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, all right, this is written to a guy named Theophilus. This is, this is uh, the book of Acts is the second book. The first one is the book of Luke. This guy named Luke wrote Luke and Acts as part one and part two. So that's what he's referencing. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so I'm going to pause here because this is Luke giving a quick synopsis before he gets into the story of Jesus with his disciples here in chapter 1. And so what, what does he describe? Well, he describes how Jesus was spending time with his disciples. He was appearing to them uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We know from the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the gospel accounts, one story told from four different perspectives. We know that Jesus Christ, he lived and then he died on the cross for our sin, but he didn't stay in the grave. Instead, he resurrected. And so he's spending time here with his disciples, explaining to them how God is going to move and the work he's going to do. And likely, in light of what we looked at even last week, explaining all the different elements of the Old Testament and explaining to them, again, things about their faith. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And so these people became eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ, and they became witnesses to testify to this. So in the same way that you might be a witness to something, you're called on the stand, can you testify to what you've seen? You'll explain what you've seen. In this case, these folks have seen Jesus, and they are testifying. This is the, the group, right, that Jesus has, has seen. And then in verse 4, it tells us, kind of get, now we get into the story. While staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. If you have your Bible, you could circle wait. To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, I want to pause here just to talk through this a little bit because there's this element of waiting that is part of our faith. In the case for this group of people who become known as like the early church, they are waiting for something they have never experienced before. They've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That had not happened in this case. In the Old Testament, we see moments where there's the anointing of the Spirit, but not in the way that we would read, I think it's next week, but Acts chapter 2. You see this unique moment with the Holy Spirit. Instead, they're waiting on that. Jesus tells them, wait. He says, you know, you've seen the baptism with water, which we did as a church last week, uh, but I want you to wait on this baptism from the Holy Spirit. I'm not really sure what that means or what that looks like, but they trusted the Father's promise as they waited. They had faith in something that they had not seen before. And this is something that is true for our faith. So if you're not good uh, with waiting, well, I don't really know many of us are. But if you're thinking, I just don't like that moment, I don't like that feeling of having to wait, I don't like patience, well, that's kind of, it kind of comes with the territory of being a follower of Christ. We wait on God. We watch him move. We see what he's doing. So we see in, with, uh, with Abraham in the Old Testament, uh, he's waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled. That's why something like Romans 4 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And so that was true for Abraham and all these different folks in the Old Testament. And then you have these disciples here, these followers of Christ. They are waiting on the Holy Spirit and the baptism. Well, you know, for us, even though we have so much in our faith, we have have Scripture, we have all these that we read in hindsight, even we are waiting. We're waiting on the return of Christ that Jesus himself promised. So we kind of join this idea of, of waiting in the plans of God throughout history. But then even day to day, we wait all the time. We're waiting on things. Sometimes these are massive things, waiting on a new job, waiting on uh, somebody who is going to be our spouse, or waiting on a friend, um, not to get ready for the car, but like waiting there, like, for, for us to have uh, maybe friends that can walk with us in life. Uh, we're waiting on a house. You know, the market's like crazy right now. It's really hard to find stuff. Like waiting on things, that's kind of where we're at. Well, how about you? Like, what on your mind are you waiting on? I'm waiting on things and pleading for the Lord for breakthrough. Well, in those moments of waiting and praying, that is where our faith is forged. That's where there's a holy fortitude that is a foundation for whatever you end up receiving. And so I encourage you not to lose heart in those seasons of waiting, and I encourage you not to uh, tap out. Instead, strive as you lean in, knowing God, praying with him, strive to wait with joy and wait with uh, really just a sense of peace in the Lord, trusting his timing and not trying to get ahead of ourselves. Okay, so in this case, they're waiting, which gets, you know, uh, just specifically for the Holy Spirit to be there. And then verse eight tells us this, Jesus tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is one of the more, um, I don't want to say important verses, but this is a key verse as a follower of Christ. If you're looking like, I need to memorize a new verse, memorize Acts 1.8. It is a great guide into who we are to be as God's people. We are 
for, for the apostles and the disciples and followers of Christ at this time, as well as for us, we receive power from the Holy Spirit and we likewise, like these folks here, we are called to be witnesses. Uh, we're not in Jerusalem, we're in Greene County right now and we are called to be witnesses uh, with where God has us and then taking that same gospel message to the ends of the earth. Now that phrase about power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, for a lot of us, it is hard to grasp that kind of power. We tend to look at things with earthly limitations or the own, our own obstacles, our own weaknesses. But let's remind ourselves, the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, that is the power of our God who is indwelt in us at salvation and who works within us. Our God at work within us. So think about Ephesians 3 and these, these words here, starting in verse 14. I don't have the words on the screen, but you can just listen along. This describes the dynamic of that power. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is crazy. It's like, sometimes I dream big, sometimes I don't, but he's able to do far more abundantly than we all, all we ever ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, including ours, forever and ever, amen. That's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Okay, so Jesus says, you gotta wait, there's gonna be power. We'll read about that in the, probably next week or the next, or, or the following after that, and we'll see that actual account. And then verse nine, things kind of shift here. And it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is known as the ascension of Jesus Christ. It actually has profound theological implications. And that's why I might, I might preach on that at, in, in depth next week. And if not, maybe just give all of us like some points in the, in, the, in the weekly newsletter or something. It's just that good and what it means. In the verse 10, though, is what we're going to focus on the rest of our time. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that, there is that phrase that ties into what we read in Revelation about the return of Christ and other, other passages in, say, 1 Thessalonians 4 and all that. They are caught standing, looking around, looking into heaven. They are stargazing during the daytime. And they are confronted by these two angels to say, what are you doing? What are you doing looking around? Like, he ascended. He will return. Now go. In their case, they had to go and they had to wait. And soon after this, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we'll look at next week. And in this moment, the disciples, I would describe as this pivotal moment in their lives, in their own faith, 
as well as the life of the church as a whole in the last 2,000 years. This sort of moment, the disciples could have just been commiserating, uh, wallowing in self-pity. Hey, their Savior just left. Well, now what? And they could have been discouraged. They could have been uh, finding themselves uh, purposeless. Jesus resurrected. That's amazing. After the traumatic crucifixion. And great, Jesus, let's establish your kingdom, let's make things happen. And then he ascends, saying, I will establish things later. Well, in that sort of moment, how could they have responded? It's a whole mixed bag. And yet, we see they respond, if you were to keep reading, with faithfulness, with prayer. Soon, they are empowered by the Spirit, and the church begins to function and move and start as we kind of know it today. So this is that unique transition period between Jesus' resurrection and ascension and then also the empowerment of the Spirit known as the day of Pentecost. Well, I believe we are faced with the same sort of question when it comes to evaluating our spiritual life. And the question is this, why are you stuck standing looking around? Why are you looking around, looking around in the sky when Jesus wants to work through us? when we can be vessels of God, specifically when we are called to be witnesses to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful that the 500 witnesses and everyone else who's involved in this story here, that those who saw Jesus, that they actually took seriously the call to be a witness that proclaimed what they saw and how Jesus impacted their life. I'm thankful they were bolder than I have been because their boldness led to other people to hear the gospel, hear the gospel, and eventually it got to me. I'm thankful they didn't make the same excuses that I'm prone to make. I'm not sure about you guys, but I can make about, uh, I don't know, countless, honestly, can't even count them up, countless excuses into why I shouldn't share my faith or I find myself limited and excusing that behavior, justifying that behavior and making excuses. I'm thankful that they pressed in to know God and they were completely obedient, not only in this exact moment here and how they responded, the angel saying, why are you stuck, you know, why are you standing around looking at heaven? Go, you know, they had to go and then they waited. Well, how about us? Are we stuck looking around? What I mean by this is this. Over the years, we have seen God grow our church. It has been exciting to watch it go from uh, about as many people in this room to hundreds of families, including the church plant up in Etland. How exciting it is that God has been working by his grace over the last handful of years. Wonderful. And yet for some of us in our church family, we may believe that the church, our church legacy has hit its finish line or that we've made it because we're established, because we're a good size, because generally speaking, the people in the room are familiar and this is good and I really like this. Now let's just leave it here. Let's lock in, let's cultivate this church family and the community here. But let's remind ourselves, are we building the legacy of Christ just for us or for future generations? There's probably about 500 people in our church family, if you were to count, although I strive really not to count because it doesn't matter. 
I do believe that we're on the cusp of something great, a movement of God that is not fabricated by human planning or by wisdom, a demonstration of God's grace and his mercy that will only be explained in the history books by an outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. And that's a prayer that's been stirring in my heart to many in our church and fellow pastors in our community as we gather and we pray and we seek the Lord. And I'm reminded of what that can even look like uh, as, I, as I look at nature around here because just a couple of weeks ago, almost all the leaves were, uh, had yet to really bloom or flourish. And uh, at my house, like uh, certain plants have yet, they weren't even growing or anything. And just in the last two weeks, the grass, or two or three weeks, the grass is no longer brown. Uh, leaves are everywhere. Uh, and, and we are seeing just the spring at work. Well, I've been praying that the spiritual winter in our town would end. And there will be a spiritual spring in which we see a flourishing, that which is dead now being alive, or which that which is hibernating or appears to be dry will become awake and alive and emerge in that way. But that sort of revival outpouring does not occur when we are spiritually lazy. God uses his people to reap what they sow regarding spiritual matters, including sharing our faith. God has convicted me that our heart, uh, he's convicted my heart that we've been stuck looking around, that in a sense we've been just staring into heaven. Now it's not really heaven. Um, that might even be a good thing of what we're staring at. We're staring at a whole bunch of secondary values and priorities, things that really don't matter in eternity. And it has stifled our heart's cry till all here. It has impacted our passion to see friends and neighbors receive multiple opportunities to respond to the gospel we used to embrace that with greater fervor and things changed a few years ago. So what happened? Well, I'll tell you in part what happened for us. It is tiring work to proclaim and to live the gospel among people who do not care, to those who are spiritually blind, to those who are against the gospel, and those who just kind of give us a hard time. It could be friends, it could be family members, it could be coworkers, they say, I just don't want to hear it, or I know what you believe, don't need to tell me again and again. Somehow we thought that we'd share the gospel and people would be like, oh yeah, thank you for that information. I am a sinner and I do need Jesus Christ. Well, let's ask ourselves, how many times have you heard the gospel uh, before you responded? Or how long did it take you to finally repent and believe? For many of us, it took multiple and multiple opportunities, and years or decades before we responded. Some of us have fallen into the trap of believing that field of dream slogan, if we build it, they will come. It sounds good in a movie, but it's not biblical in the sense that we are not called to just sit around and then watch things flourish. We're called to tackle what God has put in front of us. So questions I've been asking myself are these, these two. One is, did I think kingdom building work was going to be easy? I, I didn't, but uh, I guess I've slipped into that. Secondly, 
Did I think building Christ's legacy for future generations was going to happen without resistance? I don't know. I, 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 guess, I, I guess I kind of fell into that. And so let me remind us of what I have observed in the last several years living here, pastoring here. I'm not sure how the domains of darkness are structured, but did we actually think that the, that the demons of addictions assigned to our county or assigned to your street or to your home, your family line, were gonna throw a welcome party when you showed up at the doorstep to share the gospel or when you personally started reading the gospel, uh, the gospel accounts or the Bible that they were going to just roll over and let you enjoy freedom in Christ. Did we think the adversary was going to stop lying and stop deceiving our coworkers when we got our life with God, we got our life right with God and we watched them? Did we actually think that if we sang and proclaimed the gospel on this hilltop that the darkness would just pack up and go home? Not at all. We cannot fall into that trap. And so I know it gets tiresome to run the Christian race and to preach the gospel with our lives and with our words, but I challenge us I challenge us to not give up just because there has yet to be maybe a friend or a neighbor or a child who has responded to the gospel message. According to the census.gov website, which I don't think is fully accurate uh, due to our town is growing and so, so many people are moving here, but online it says there's 20,552 people in our county. So how many people do we want to see place their faith in Christ? 20,552, if that's the number. No less. And as long as our neighbors are not destined to heaven, we proclaim to them. And to say that same thing, invertedly, as long as our neighbors are destined to hell, we proclaim to them. We teach them how to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this new series, After Party, how did the disciples respond to the resurrection? And how can that be a model to us and challenge us to respond to the resurrection message that we all gathered two weeks ago, celebrated, hey, this was fun, Jesus resurrected. What do we do with that message? Well, we become eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ to those around us. In the same way that these disciples do that and they live that, and that's the entire book of Acts describing all this, and we're gonna look at these in subsequent weeks. So we are called to be eyewitnesses of the life and the ministry and the miracle of Jesus in our own lives. So I challenge us to uh, approach that call in this way. I challenge each of you to pray through, uh, honestly asking the Lord, to lead you to share the gospel with six people, to pray for them regularly between now and next week. Right, six, there's seven days in a week, well, Six out of the seven, praying for each of those people, maybe one a day, maybe every day, depending on how that looks for you, to pray for them and to preach the gospel to them with your life, with your words, with your love and your compassion, and to see what God is stirring and how he's going to work. If we were to see about, five, about 500 people in our church or so, everybody taking that sort of call seriously. And if, 
it's in God's timing and, the, and his grace is at work in the lives of those people and they have spiritual awakening. There would be about 3,000 people who would respond to the gospel between now and say the end of 2022. Again, not everyone responds right away. Like, yeah, that's great information. I wanted to know. Sometimes people, their hearts really are primed and ready and they need the hope of Jesus Christ. Other times they're not. Well, let's just say for the rest of this year, we on a regular basis are sharing the gospel with those six people. It could be much more, but I don't want to overwhelm anyone, right? Just share the gospel. And maybe you're thinking, well, I just don't know. I just don't know what to say. I get caught up in that all the time. You know what? This is my go-to. Everyone kind of has their thing. Here's mine. And mine is share the, God's testimony of, of his work in your life. So just share who Jesus is, what he's done in your life. Be an eyewitness to Jesus and his life. In the same way that the 500 eyewitnesses, they just testified that Jesus resurrected and how he saved them, well, we are to go and do likewise. So uh, over, over the next several weeks, we're gonna study from the book of Acts to stir our affections for Christ along these lines, to be effective witnesses of the gospel. We're gonna study what it looked like for the Holy Spirit to empower, because these folks didn't do this on their own strength, and you can't live your faith on your own strength. And we're gonna see uh, different selections of how this played out. And I want us to not only read about this and study this over the next several weeks, but I want us to be diligent in sharing and living the gospel among those around us and to watch people begin to respond. Our town is ready in so many ways. There's so much messed up stuff right now. And I think there's m people are more ready to respond than they used to be. So let's be effective witnesses along those lines. Uh, Maddie, you and the team, come on up here and lead us with a worship song. As we sing this, we're gonna sing and it, and, and it can be a declaration of your own heart to Jesus because it is awesome. But I, I encourage you to sing it with the message framework in your mind specifically singing it over the six people that God may be bringing to your mind. If you have a notebook, you could write names out. Uh, I personally don't have a pen on me, so I can't do it myself. But I, have, I guess I have my phone, and so I can write out some names. And the ones that the Lord leads you, prompts in your mind, my prayer is that you would really pray these words over, over that uh, those six. It could be a family of six. Literally, it could be your neighbor. You can knock, you can knock this out tomorrow. You're like, Adam, I did it. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. Let's get them baptized. But wherever they're at, or whatever, whoever it is the Lord pre presses on your mind, uh, let's use these words, pray these for these folks, and begin to see God at work and work within us. All right? Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Would you stand?